it is at the end one of the best examples that by just repeating some message frequently enough, people start believing it. You hear about it all the time, again and again and again here. And then people really start to believe that there is a social credit system in place that rates the individual people in China, which is simply not true. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. Niemenau guys and welcome to the next episode of the Track and Folio China podcast. My name is Eric and today let's talk about China's social credit system. It's a topic that was on my agenda for a long time because I believe it is one of the biggest misconceptions when we speak about China. And that's basically because whenever I talk with people about China and they ask me questions, then one of the first things that always would come up is, but aren't you afraid of the surveillance state in China, which used the social credit system and things like, why would you go to a country where everyone receives a personal score based on his behavior? And I talked to a lot of people who literally believe that every Chinese citizen these days has a social credit score and is constantly exposed to a rating system. So, like, if you would cross the red light, minus one. If you help an old lady carrying home her bags from the supermarket, plus one. It's literally like this. Some people believe that China has such a system, and that is, of course, horrible. So, straight up, I'm very sorry, but I have to debunk this myth, because there is no social credit system in place right now that fulfills these kind of rating criteria. There is simply no such thing as an overall scoring system for Chinese citizens in China. So what is it? Is the whole social credit system a, a big lie? Is it just made up by Western media? Of course not. There is indeed something under this name of social credit system, in China, they call it Shihui Xinyong TC, so it exists. But essentially, it is very different from the mainstream explanation that you commonly find here and that people often refer to. The first very interesting aspect here is that if you would ask the average Chinese person in China about the system, chances are they don't even know what you are talking about. They might have never heard of it. And that's not because they're ignorant, because, you know, if there would be such a system in place, if you receive constant evaluations, fines and, and scoring and, and whatever you can think of based on your behavior, of course you would know about it. Then people in China would be aware of it, but they are not. Most people don't know about it. They know you can get blacklisted or there are consequences for certain things you do, but... They don't know about the system and the reason simply is that it is not really implemented, especially in a private sense. The idea behind the social credit system is very different. 
Initially, it has been initiated to create a way to compensate for the lack of financial credit scores. So when you want to do business with a company, whether you give them money or you just exchange goods or whatever you can think of, you want to know whether they are trustworthy, whether they are have some credit worthness as a bank especially. And some episodes ago I talked about Guanxi, which is sort of the relationship approach in China. One of the biggest problems that I identified here and that I talked about was that there are a lot of missing legal rights and a lot of missing trust among Chinese society among the Chinese society. The change in living standards and economic power was so rapid that the development of the social and legal system could not always keep up with it. And so there is a gap nowadays. And as a consequence, there are, of course, a lot of cases of corruption still. There is fraud. There are big environmental issues, food safety scandals. You have constant violations of labor laws and intellectual property rights and so on. And yeah, one answer to these issues is Guanxi, but it cannot really be the only good answer in the long term to these issues. And this is why China came up with another solution. And about six years ago, they started to establish a system that provides more security and more stability. And that is the, yeah, what we now refer to as social credit system. And its main purpose is that it is supposed to ensure that businesses play by the rules so that China can enforce regulations and laws. Because remember, and I keep repeating that, the most important thing for China is economic growth and stability. And with such a system, you could achieve that. So important is number one, the social credit system is mostly targeting businesses and companies, not private individuals. Very important because that's a, that's a huge misconception. And the second aspect, which is also absolutely important, is that as I speak, there is no single coordinated system in China that works as an overall leading system that you can call social credit system. In China, you have, of course, also a lot of different um, regulatory bodies. You have um, measurements from different ministries and you have already a lot of pilot projects going on under this kind of frame or roof, but it is not really that there is a well-coordinated project, let alone a system that really is um, superior and can put all the strings together. Definitely not. This whole system also is not a only government system. There are a lot of different parties involved. And it makes sense, right? Even a state-dominated country like China has more than just a government. There are banks, there are legal institutions, and probably even companies. Think about it. similar in the West. If certain people don't play by the rules, doesn't mean they have to violate laws. But if they, let's say they don't fit into what is accepted by the mainstream, by the masses. If they don't fit in, 
They also denied access to many platforms. For instance, the banks might say, sorry, we don't want to do business with you. Or you cannot sell your stuff anymore on certain platforms. You might be banned from them. It also happens there. And of course, in China, they will also work together with companies. If you are denied access from Alibaba and stuff or, or other things, or you are not allowed to travel anymore by, let's say, airplane, of course, that is really what hurts you. And the same happens also in other countries around the world. So my point here is it's very complex. It's not just the government gonna put up some, some, uh, some Excel sheet and, and, and that's it, right? There's much, much more to that. Um, there are attempts to coordinate these things, but it's not as sophisticated as you would think. And while China is an extremely fast and dynamic country in many aspects, the administration, due to its size and complexity, is not the most efficient usually. So unlike some infrastructure projects, which can be finished in an extremely amazing speed, this undertaking definitely can not be done that quickly and it's going to take a lot. Money, time, expertise, data and so on. So if you think that China is totally covered up in surveillance technology these days already and there is a system like the social credit system that sucks up all these data and has a lot of colorful pie charts at the end popping up and rating all the, all the people like you would see it in maybe some some movies it's not really the case and one reason here is that of course where does the innovation take place usually not just china but where does a country like china get its innovation from private companies of course and for most private innovative companies the priority number one is not to build up these kind of technologies and to have software and infrastructure that addresses these needs. Of course, nowadays, governments, institutions, companies, they work together closely also with um, AI and stuff and have a lot of solutions already for certain issues. But we are not at a point where all these things run so smoothly and can really um, deliver a large benefit to um, society in that regard. So right now, in a lot of cases, what the system does is it relies on human decisions and their investigations. What are the impacts of such a system? Like I said, it's mostly about businesses right now, but what are the impacts, the positive impacts especially, well, of course, it can increase the trust among strangers. It can promote, therefore, collaborations, business activities. It can reduce crimes and fraud. You have companies being blacklisted. So you as a business owner or as a company or as a bank, you can check whether this company most likely is a good business partner for you. Also, it is easier to enforce laws if companies do not play by the rules, if they violate certain regulations. And that's so far a big issue in China because a lot of companies or businesses did things that were illegal or there are actually people who should have been warned, but it didn't really take place. 
and that's an important aspect. So there are a lot of economic benefits because also it is part of the, let's say, anti-corruption movement that started also many years ago. That is very positive because you can only sustainably become a dominant and efficient economy if you tackle the issue of corruption. And this definitely, I'm very sure about it, definitely also plays an important role here and will contribute to the anti-corruption um, campaign. And um, yeah, of course, there are many other aspects such as uh, black market activities, which can be prevented and reduced. And so there are obviously a lot of economic positive benefits. benefits. Is there something negative? Well, of course, um, privacy concerns are always a, always an issue, and even in China, um, especially um, if it goes, let's say, the wrong way, because at the end, it is important that with this system, you at the end protect the people and address their needs that they have in regards to businesses. So the rules and the system should not just work in favor of institutions and businesses, but in favor of the people. Also, the system can be abused technically. So if you, let's say, you want to get an advantage over your competitors and you are able to blacklist them or to um, yeah, somehow make the system work against them, that's also a huge issue because the system is to prevent fraud and manipulation not to promote it. And so that's, of course, a risk that exists when you have such a system. And of course, especially in China, because once you are, for instance, blacklisted in China, I believe it's quite difficult to get rid of it because then you have to use the legal way or you have to kind of find a way around it, solve that issue. I think that's something that yeah should be kept in mind and is important. Of course, when you have such a system, there are yeah, potential risks and it's not like it's just a flower field, right? But let's say it's going to be more and more implemented. It's going to be part of the business life. How do Chinese actually see that? Um, as I said in the beginning, most people are not even really aware of it at least not under this name. Though, apart from that, most people would show or show a much higher acceptance for it. The Chinese culture traditionally puts much more emphasis on society than on the individual. So most people would say, hey, I don't care how much they control and how they use the system exactly. For me, I'm fine as long as I have a benefit from it. Benefit can mean I have more security or my, my family business, my kids gonna have more security or my friends or my own company, which I work for. They would say, I don't bother whether they get some, get some of our data or what I exactly do behind the curtain as long as it's a benefit for society and in the end also for me. In, China, I mean, basically every square meter, at least in the cities, is under camera surveillance. And 
I can tell you that Chinese are just fine with it. And even when I'm in China, I have to admit, it doesn't bother me. I feel extremely safe. When I walk through a dark alley in China, which I wouldn't maybe dare to do in Germany anymore these days, it's not a big deal. It's, it's, uh, you feel safe everywhere. And that's what Chinese would also say in this regard when it comes to such a system. They wouldn't, they wouldn't really mind. Um, they rather worry about criminality, about antisocial behavior. And that's, in their eyes, is a much bigger problem than my individual pride of liberty or something. So for Chinese, they don't, they don't see it as a problem. At the end, the problem only exists if you don't play by the rules, right? So, yeah, there's some uh, cultural aspects to it. I mean, in Asian countries, generally, it is way more accepted that you have control measurements in place. And as long as it serves society and the overall good, they're commonly fine with it. So we should not make the mistake to um, believe that they are suppressed with such a system or that... Um, they feel like under under constant pressure to behave uh, to behave well. Okay, so let's summarize already a bit to give you some uh, valuable takeaway from this episode. The um, social credit system is often incorrectly mixed up with China's surveillance state, and I hope it became clear for you that these are two different things. It is at the end one of the best examples that by just repeating some message frequently enough, people start believing it. You hear about it all the time, again and again and again here. And then people really start to believe that there is a social credit system in place that rates the individual people in China, which is simply not true. The system, as it was planned and as it is, established right now is different it is mostly about corporations mostly about companies and not about rating citizens that's not to say that china won't use technology to punish people like a lot of examples for that like parking tickets and so on where they have already full access to technology where they use everything they have that's of course yeah, that's of course happening all the time and that's going to increase because they have the, they have the tools for that these days. It's much more efficient and it's easy to prove it. So this is one side, but this is obviously very different from the common explanation about the social credit system. So at the end, it's more about a regulatory information system, about business, about financial issues to prevent and address the current trust and crime issues in uh, business and also in society. My opinion on that? Well, I think if China is able to implement this properly, and when I say properly, I mean that it's really more for the people and their business needs. And if they do it in an efficient and smart way, I think that's a powerful methodology and it's a positive step forward into a domestic business environment that is much better than in the past and also much better probably than now again if it's done in the in the right way 
China's legal system is going to stay very different from ours. It's going to change as well, I believe, but it's not going to be similar to ours. So they will probably, even in some years, they will not have the legal security from the system. So a concept like the social credit system might indeed solve issues that you cannot solve otherwise and that are necessary for China to take the next step. And the next step, among others, include increasing legal rights, increasing the trust and stability among um, market participants. How sensible is it and how successful it's going to be? That's really difficult to predict. I think almost nobody can really anticipate it right now. First of all, how it is exactly implemented in practice. And as I said, it, there is no system right now that is so comprehensive and well-functioning that you can really call it the social credit system of China. And secondly, even after its successful implementation, you don't know how it really turns out, how it is lived, how it is used from both sides. So there are a lot of question marks. But I also believe that it also could eventually lead to more trust from abroad, more companies, more investors from overseas who are until today very skeptical of China. They might hopefully see China rather as a chance than as a risk with this system. Because however you, you judge it what they do, but at the end, if it leads to a more stable and secure country in a private way, but also in a business way, then you definitely have a lot of advantages. And that is something that you should not forget in this sense. And that also here, we rather see that this offers a lot of opportunities and chances. It addresses a lot of issues that people often criticize about China. They say it's not transparent, it's not secure enough. And this is one of the best concepts, probably, that might get rid of a lot of issues that we have and that might contribute to a better future for China. Thanks for listening to the Dragonfolio China podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net.